We're speaking about walking and feet and legs and heels and and then we spoke about the the two legs that we have in terms of the way we move forward spiritually and we called the right leg Zrizus and the left leg Zahirus and through the correct initiation and counterbalance a person is able to progress forward in his life um, the, sugi is, the sugi of walking is interesting um, I've had a few more interesting experiences the differentiation in the relationship between between uh, between what kind of surface you're walking on and what kind of impression you make what's very interesting about walking is that certain surfaces will not allow you to create a path upon them whereas others will so to contrast a concrete surface where your footsteps will leave no impression to a soft sand or snow where you leave deep impressions allows us a different insight into the nature of walking we said that walking can be looked upon in its physical expression whereby a person is able to relocate himself and to get closer to destination whilst always changing his perspective and viewpoint as the new areas of the landscape confront him he has to adjust his pace and direction in order to make sure that he stays focused on getting to his destination but ultimately the process of walking towards a destination becomes an act of an achievement in its own right whether the person actually gets to the destination or not and hence when the Torah says the Maral pointed out that you'll never ever get there thereby introducing us to the notion that spirituality growth in Yiddishkeit is not focused upon a series of landmark achievements it's focused on a redefinition of achievement being engaging faithfully in the process of going towards a goal but not necessarily reaching it which is a radical departure from the way that we looked upon uh, that we generally are trained or the culture prescribes progress it's a much more meditative experience when a person becomes allows a person let's say uh, there, there are a few different connotations and um, consequences to this view of spirituality. One of them is, and it's a fundamental one, of a melody which I think has become quite widespread in the modern world, and that's the idea of living in the moment. The, the more your goal orienta orientation becomes defined, and the greater that goal becomes, the less valuable the process of getting there becomes. In other words, if I could be at the goal today, that would be preferable. So therefore, every, um, every deviation, detour along the route becomes a pain. It becomes a waste. So essentially, the way we process the pathway towards the goal is a necessary evil to get there. That's when the, the goal orientation is an extreme, but it 
illustrates the point that when a person's focused on getting there, so then getting there is the, is, is the, the meaning. Be, sorry, arriving at the destination becomes the meaning, and the pathway leading up to it is just a, a an unfortunate, inevitable process that you have to go through because otherwise you can't, you can't fly. Whereas when you diminish the importance of getting there, in fact, you tell the person at the outset, you'll never ever arrive. You'll never ever arrive. So then getting there becomes elusive, unachievable. So therefore you're left with, okay, well, what am I doing? And this is the frustration that meets many a spiritual wanderer. Even after they've taken on the yoke of Torah mitzvahs, is they keep on looking and trying to get there. And they're not getting there. Because it's not about getting there. It's about walking. Taking one step after another step. And making sure that their walking is a process which in itself is the destination. The destination is to be in the process. The destination is to be walking. The destination isn't to get there. There's no there. There's no there. Where's the there? So then you'll say to me, well, but, but if there's no destination, so then inevitably my walking will be an aimless walking. So that's, that's the problem, right? Because there's a very strong destination. There's a very explicit demand of a Jew. You should do this. You should be this. You should. So it seems somewhat contradictory. On the one hand, we are demand to be. You have to conquer your anger. You have to be immensely kind with tremendous self-discipline and bent on truth. You have to be energized in your performance of the mitzvahs and you have to be vigilant in your evasion of evil. So there are clearly defined places that you have to get to. And yet, if that's true, so then how can the process be the crucial thing? You, have to, you can't say that I'm working towards becoming a less angry person. You can't be angry. That's the destination. So this is what makes the process slightly more complex. If it would be that it's only process-based, and if you can walk around in a deserted island forever and ever, it doesn't really make a difference which path you take, because the process is about engaging in the environment whilst you wander, that would be totally process. If it would be totally goal-orientated, it would be that until you get there, every effort is just a meaningless in its essential point. If you could get to the goal and avoid the effort, that would be preferable. So then the process is not avoid. So on the one extreme, we have the, where the process is everything. On the other extreme, we have where the process is nothing. Comes along the turn and says, no, it's actually some type of middle ground where the process is everything, but at the same time, the goal is everything. But the goal is not everything because the process is everything, but the process is... That's what becomes somewhat frustrating. That, that's the frustration. So what we have to do is we have to seek, seek a, a method of treading that path and deriving the nourishment from the process, yet at the same time not being dismissive of the goal. But at the same time realizing that the goal is not it, but at the same time realizing it's only because of the goal. So... <coughs> So if we could describe the process of Jewish walking and the value of it, the way I would put it into words is it's a directional process. 
Arriving Yiddishkeit is when a person takes considerate steps towards a given goal, that's called arriving. When you're walking towards the goal, that's the purpose. It's to walk, but towards the goal. The walking towards the goal is the purpose. It's not random. It's not that the purpose is walking. The purpose is going towards the goal. It's not getting at the goal and that the walking is irrelevant because the purpose is the walking. So directed walking. It's walking with purpose and direction. Yes, Devin. So I hope this doesn't divulge from the subject matter too much. Yeah. But the fact that there's not necessarily a arriving point and a departure point allows you to be able to change. Right? This, this sort of abstract notion of a, of a, of a goal allows for a, a massive amount of leeway within that walking so that, that can allow you to change and to do chuba in a, is that the mechanism? Okay, I'm, I'm trying to answer your question by trying to just bring the sugya down a little bit more to the ground. Until now, it's been very esoteric. Let's say one of the things that ex- is expected of me as a Jew is to daven three times a day. So that seems to be a pretty tangible goal. And walking towards that goal means, using again the analogy of walking, walking towards that goal means that I engage in the process of davening three times a day. And let's say, for a person who's just a new entrant into Yiddishkeit, it's a bit of an overwhelming ask. It's a little bit too much, especially when, when a person's first getting into it. And the pressure of three prayers, prayers per day, it comes out, you know, can it take up to one and a half, two hours, becomes an overwhelming demand. So a person says, I'm going to try to um, stagger my progress and I'm going to make steps towards. So I'm going to dive in a small section of Shachris, I'll maybe dive in Asher of Mincha, and I'll dive in Maiv once a week. So, and they see that, that that itself is a step. And then they see that that's, that's doable. So they take the next step, and they say, I'll incorporate a little bit more of Shachris. And eventually they take step after step until they arrive. And now they dive in Shachris, Mincha, Maiv. So therefore you see, They've arrived at the goal. Then what happens is you suddenly realize that no, there wasn't a goal. There was just one landmark on the way. Really, the goal is to achieve a state of sublime connection to the Creator. So what does it mean? The way the Shulchan Aruch descri- describes it is what's called his Pashtus Agashmes, where a person completely removes himself from his physical body and he ascends to the spiritual realm, which is something that we've discussed before in Twitter, that just as walking is the description of man, so too is the inability to walk the description of angels. And that's why in the process of Shmona Esra, a person links his legs together and makes his two legs into a single one because he can no longer walk. Now he starts to fly. Now, but again, that new goal that I've established for myself becomes too hard to maintain, too hard to achieve. Just like I can't dive in all three twitters at once when I'm a new entrant, I can't hold that level of connection to, to the divine for an entire Shemona Esrei. 
It could be that I can't even conceive of it. So it could be before you even get into the area where it's possible for me to focus even in the word Baruch to what Baruch means, I have to go through a whole educational process. So therefore I have to take a step. What's the step? Well, the step, maybe the first step is to take is check to understand the word Baruch. The word Baruch is a, is, a, is a word that many, many, many words have been written about. What Baruch means, because it seemingly has an, is nonsensical. The English translation of Blessed Art Thou, which was the classic translation in the singer Siddur, uh, doesn't really hold much water when trying to understand some spiritual meaning. Blessed art thou, king of the universe, who hast. Doesn't go. Doesn't go. What is blessed art thou? What is a blessing? So you have to start to research. What does it mean? Baruch. What does it mean? Baruch. And until you really figure out what means Baruch, you can't, can't speak about sublime connections when you don't understand the actual literal translation. So there's a stage of literal translation, which could be the next stage, after the three... And then you reach that. And then you have to go on to... But what does it mean? I've understood. What does it mean? Baruch HaTo HaShem and the Kenya of the Kenya of Hussein. I mean, if you look at the Shemona Esrei, the first Baruchah, the first Baruchah, if you try to delve into the understanding, just becomes extremely complex. For example, what is the standard format of a Baruchah? Baruch. Ato. Hashem. Do all those three words appear in the first let line of the Shemona Esrei? Baruch Ato Hashem, yes. Elokeinu? Elokeinu. Melech Ha'olam. Where did Melech Ha'olam go? Where's Melech Ha'olam? Baruch Ato Hashem, Elokeinu. Instead of going Melech Ha'olam, it goes Ve'elokeinu. Do you understand? Where's the Melech Ha'olam? Melech Ha'olam. The Gemara is in the brochet. If you leave out the phrase Melech Ha'olam, it's not a brocha. You have to acknowledge the relationship of the Supreme Being to the world. Melech means king, Oilam means hidden, the hidden king. He's here and he's in control, but you don't see him, he's not visible. So, so where is it? And why, why is it? And then it goes, Elokeinu, so it deviates from Melech Oilam and it replaces that phrase, or avoid, or the bracha stops there, I'm not quite sure which, with Ve Elokeinu, the God, our God, our God, speaking in the plural, I don't know how everyone else in the room got into my prayer. I was perfectly happy davening by myself. So how did Elokeinu come in? Elokeinu, then, Ve'elokei Avuseinu. And then all of a sudden we start to bring in the patriarchs. Dafka, Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Whatever role they play. And we describe them generically. Our, our, because we're now all together in this. Our forefathers. So first of all, it's very strange because if, to, if the Tefillah is a meditation, which it has to be, as we've discussed before, that the Tefillah is a meditation because otherwise, if it would be what we understand as a prayer, which let's say would be a conversation between myself and God, so then there's no way the the Hasidim Arishoni mentioned in the Mishnah in Brochus, the the old the sages of old, the pious ones, the pious ones would spend an hour in Shmona Esrei which averages out to approximately seven seconds per word. If it's a conversation, you don't speak. That... I'll, I'll do it for you and you'll see. How, this is how a conversation will go. Um, on your marks. 
Take an hour to go through Shemini Esrei. So Shemini is going to take you an hour. So you can do every word for an hour. So that's that's not a conversation. That's a meditation. It's called meditation. So Shemini is a meditation. It's designed as a meditation, which means that it's like in a meditation. So there's a starting point, and then there's uh, each layer of meditative comprehension builds upon the next, and there's there's a texture. There's a texture to tefillah. It means that it's, it's, it's each place feels different. You can't feel the same in the bracha of Atochoinen as you do in the bracha of Hashivenu or in the bracha of Hashiva Shavtenu. It has a texture. It's different. It's almost that if you look at the Shemone Esrei as a palace of many different chambers, so each time you go into a different bracha, you're entering into a different chamber. And it could be in different types of meditative techniques. You could see the chamber. You could see that the, each brachas have got different colors. There's 13 brachas corresponding to the 13 tribes. The first three brachas corresponding to the three patriarchs. The last three brachas, what are they for? Good question. That means they've got different exits, they've got different entrances. Multiple portals of spiritual experience. It could be there's, 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 there's ways of getting in. So the Shemone Esri is this magnificent structure that requires extreme training. So it's a goal, it's a goal, but again, the goal has a goal, and there's, but, there's, there's, there, but the goal is to do that, but I have to get there, it's way too much for me, because I lack the knowledge, and I lack, there's an element of spiritual refinement. The truth is, I don't hear the angel speak, which at my stage of development is probably a very healthy sign. Uh, where I to start hearing angels speak, that would be cause for medication, if not incarceration. But at a certain point in time, people heard angels speak. I mean, the Beis Yosef, the author of Shulchan Aruch, has an entire work that he wrote with his a dialogue there with an angel. He wrote it down, and he, you know, the angel said this, and then I said that. So he's quite a trustworthy person. I mean, we fashion our entire lives upon his work. So I'm assuming that he wasn't making it up as he went along. And you know, the Vilna Gaon said to Rebbe Chaim by the way, if an angel appears, you don't listen to them because the angels of today aren't like the angels of yesterday. What are you talking about? Clearly, this sounds like. To us, it sounds like Harry Potter. <laughs> it really does. Um, so, so it means that there's, there's not only there's, there's, a, there's a lack of knowledge, there's a lack of refinement of spirit. Yet most people make fun of Judaism because they, they can't, on an experiential level, even comprehend that there could be such a thing. Not that they can't experience it, but they can't comprehend that there could be an experience of so therefore they say, well, since my limited experience of life doesn't include that dimension, obviously that dimension doesn't exist, and therefore ach, the whole thing makes no sense, which is perfectly understandable. I would imagine that if you gave a very complex set of meditations which uh, only the most advanced uh, 
the whatever it is, whoever it was, and and after only after decades of training we be privy to do such a sophisticated medication and you gave it to a 14 year old and all he had was a text and he had given like five minutes to rattle it off so he had probably come out with the feeling <coughs> that this is meaningless because uh, for me that's really the big question is, is why do we allow people to double not really I'm serious it should be like it should be a, I know you like that idea Dev uh, I don't feel that I should be allowed to double you're very happy you're very happy for me to prevent you from davening, which is exactly the point. Which is exactly that—that's actually the point. In other words, if you if you if you have a sensitivity, and you feel, if you're able to gauge what happens when you say the first bracha, which introduces sukkah zimra, baruch So the way we say it is, we do a shtickle shakel. The Depends who you are. If you're Hasidic, you go, That's one way of doing it. There's the South African, There's the, there's the, There's a whole variety. But, but what happens from Baruch Shemar to the Haya Olam? The world. The whole world. This is what happens. There was nothing. Zero. Zero, 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 nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Ex nihilo. Gurnish. Gurnish. Empty nothingness. Empty nothingness. And then there was Shi'omar. Just Shi'omar. And then all of a sudden, an entire world. Vahoya ha'ilam. Baruch Shi'omar. There was a speech, statement, an utterance. And then there was a world. Baruch Shi'omar. And then there was a world. He spoke, and then there was a world. Before that, there was no world. And then he spoke, and then there was a world. <laughs> that's wow. That's wacko. That's wacko. It's a good thing I don't think about it. Baruch Omar, wait, wait, and then look around, look around at every single tree, every single mosquito, every single molecule in the universe, every single cloud in the sky, every single mountain. And between Baruch Omar, there was everything 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 what's that for us it's like it's it's oh oh so or maybe that's the issue or just getting the difficult words off your tongue struggling with breaking your teeth over it to understand so that's that's called a step in the direction walking towards but walking towards is, is a long-term journey now what happens when you get there let's get there you're now spending an hour on your shmoni esrei seven seconds per word and you have this meditative experience whereby you completely transcend your body and you actually need the rest of twila to land that's how the twila is it's, the twila is structured like uh, it's an ascent and a descent there's four different worlds starting off with the most basic progressing through korbanos Sukkotizimra, Krishma, until you hit the highest world when you hit Shmonesre, and then you have to go down world by world. You can't like you can't just otherwise you'll it's like you'll fall off the mountain. So then you actually have to land. So it takes the rest of filler just to bring you down. Okay, again, it's as if I'm speaking about Harry Potter, but let's say you succeed in doing that. You're actually successful. 
then you've arrived. No. Then you realize that there's a whole new dimension. And that within that first Baruch, there's and so for, And then, that's what I mean, that directional walking. You're going towards specific landmark goals. And when you, rea- when you get there, then you realize, aha, I haven't got there. And then you keep on walking. And then you get to where you need to go to. And then you get there and you think, aha, and then you keep on walking. And so on, 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 and so on. And that makes the process extremely, extremely exciting. Because once you realize that when you reach the goal, there's actually you haven't reached it all, then you realize also every footstep is also meaningful. Because it's also the same thing. It's just one step closer. Because everything is ultimately just one step closer. The Gemara says a funny, funny analogy. Moshe Rabbeinu says, Oyev kesef, lo yispa kesef. It's a pasuk. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say it, but the Gemara applies it to Moshe Rabbeinu. The one who loves money, money will never satisfy him. So that, I think, is a concept that we relate to. You see people that are thirsty, hungry for money, and it's not, it's, they're not hi- hungry for possessions. They're actually hungry for money itself. They'll devote their lives to making millions upon millions upon millions upon millions, and they won't stop when they've made millions upon millions upon millions because the actual process of this, this need for making more becomes an unquenchable desire. The Gemara said that was Moshe Rabbeinu. What? Moshe Rabbeinu was like a zillionaire tycoon? The Gemara says no, that was Moshe Rabbeinu in his relationship towards mitzvahs. That, that, that's how he connected to mitzvahs. He connected to mitzvahs the way people who are thirsty for money connect to money. And it's insatiable. It's absolutely insatiable. Because there's no final, there's no cutoff point. There's no cutoff point how much money you can have. You can always have more money. There's no cut-off point to how many mitzvahs you can have. You can have more mitzvahs. So the question is as follows. But we relate, we respond negatively to a person's pursuit of money and we label it as a person who will always be deeply unsatisfied with life. One of the reasons why we say that the pursuit for money is, is, is self-destructive is because since you'll never get there, so then you'll never feel satisfied. And that's exactly the words of the Pasuk. Oyev kesef, lo yispa kesef. The one that loves money, money won't satiate him. So he'll never be satiated. So it means you set up your life to live in a constant sense, state of frustration. Because the thing that you're pursuing, you'll never get. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's meant to be a compliment, not an insult. So there's a difference between the lack of satiation depends which direction you're going. The direction of mitzvahs, the direction, walking the direction, is a meaningful process. It leads you closer. The direction of the pursuit of wealth for its own sake leads you further. So it's not that getting things creates satisfaction and meaning and excitement and happiness in life. It's going towards them that does. And when you're going towards something which has richness and depth and it has an aspect which is completely transcendent and beauty and aesthetics and power so then the process of you becoming ever more ever closer and the process is deeply satisfying and the fact that you haven't got there always creates that edge which keeps, keeps you alive you never retire what happens to people when they retire? unfortunately they die they die People, when they stop doing their jobs, not everyone, because hooray, they're pensioners. 
But but a person a person is driven by the fact that he hasn't finished the job. So you can never finish the job. That's why it has to be that way. Or you have case of Eloise by Kesef. We always have to be in a directional walk towards. And we'll be getting every single step is the most exquisite expression of ever closer perception in the reality of life. Uh, but you never get there and that's why it's great. So it's a process but directional. So it's walking with direction. That's why Torah is walking. That's why Aloha is Aloha. That's why we have got legs. That's why we are. You follow? That's why we're not trees. Yes, Ben? Um, I think you were on said that if you take baby steps your whole life then you don't get very far. Which I agree with, but in this framework, well, what's it lacking to have direction? You claiming, without bringing a proof, that I once said, <laughs> if you take baby steps, you'll never get anywhere. You will, you'll get as far as a baby gets. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm saying if you take baby steps, you'll get as far as a baby gets. So when you're a baby, you should take baby steps. Because if you're a baby and you don't take baby steps, so then you fall flat on your face. Then you become a toddler. What should you do when you're a toddler? You should take toddler steps. And when you become a child that's well coordinated, you should take child steps. And then when you become an adult, you should take adult steps. But most of the time, you should walk. You shouldn't run. And you shouldn't stand still. <coughs> baby steps when you're a baby. Big steps when you're big. Meaning, let's bring it down. When the person, person first becomes religious. So he, in terms of his religiosity, he's a baby. Baby meaning that he's entered into a completely unfamiliar world where he hasn't yet developed the skills and abilities to be a full participant in that world, like a baby. A baby enters into the world, can't speak, he can't speak, he can't walk, he doesn't understand the rules of social operation, he has to be this extremely powerful researcher. That's what a baby is. A baby is the most incredible research team ever invented. Always experimenting. Have you seen how babies experiment? They experiment with, with so many different things. They experiment with texture. And uh, w- one of the things is that when, when we had our, our first children, we couldn't understand. At a certain point, uh, I don't know, the doctor will tell me when, they start, the, they start knocking back. If you, put them, if you put them on the chair, they'll fling themselves back. Fling themselves back. Now, that's uh, that proprioception. 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 They're trying to get a sense of balance and distance. Uh, but I mean, if you're a parent and your child flings its head into your chin, so you just think the child's a mishugana. It's like, you know, you, so you start therapy then, and uh, you find out that the child, the small child, was rocked in the cradle, and ever since then had this issue. No. It's, it's proprioception. How do you say it? I can't say the word. Proprioception. 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 You follow. So, so, so when you're a baby, you have to learn everything afresh because you don't have it. So when a person enters into a, religi- a religious world, into a Torah world, you're a baby in Torah. So you should take baby steps because otherwise you'll fall flat on your face. If you start running then, then you don't have the limbs and the muscles and nothing to support you, so then you fall on your face. But after you're six months old, and then you become, then you start to be able to sit up by yourself, and then eventually you can roll over, and then you start to crawl, and you start to walk, and then you start to jump. It's fascinating seeing like a one and a half year old <laughs> trying to jump. 
They just like they jump, but they don't leave the ground. She goes, she goes, jump! And then she like bends her knees and straightens them. And nothing happens. And then like, you know, six-year-old brother goes, boing, 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 boing. And she's like, ah, jump! Stays in the same place. The truth is, she enjoys it. <laughs> so do we. Do they help? So what I'm saying basically is you're not a baby and stop being a baby and take some big <laughs> strong steps forward. Okay, Samuel. I hear, I hear. Those big, big manly steps. Fire fo fo fum. I smell the Yes. Okay. Good. So that's that I think is is, is the expression of, of of I think we've spoken a little bit about the sugi of walking and the sugi of legs. We haven't really gone into it properly because there's much more to legs. Much, much more to legs, but we've touched on it. I mean we'd have to speak about knees as well and upper the upper leg and the lower leg and the connection between when you say the word baruch you bend your knees which are called berich, which is the same root, base reish chof, in the same order. And when you bend your knees, you bend your knees when you say baruch, and what's that about? Bending your knees. When you bend your torso, when you say atah, <coughs> whether it's the bending of the torso, the bending of the knees, two ways of bowing, you know, men bow and women curtsy. They bend their knees, they don't bow their full body, they bend their knees. Men bend their full body. So there's two ways, that, there's two places in your body you can bend, or there's actually three, you can bend your neck as well. So in degrees, right? Bending your neck, bending your torso, bending your knees. There's all these bends. No, I'm not discussing a new form of Jewish yoga. I'm not, I'm not going there. There are those who have gone there before, Yochanan. There are. There's a whole school of Jewish yoga. Ofanim, they're called. What are they called? Ofanim. They're Jewish yogas. They, they do, they do, they do, they do, um... They do yoga in the form of the Hebrew alphabet. You try and make yourself into a tzadi. <laughs> tzadi sofi. <laughs> no, it's all it's all well and good when you have to be like you know a final lamed, a final sorry a final nun. Then you're like you know stand up straight. Okay, that's great. And then they say gimel. Oh, you stick one foot forward, the next foot back. You can do it. Aleph can make. But then you get you know you get a test. What do you do then, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, everybody, so thank you for your attention. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.